who's out of town? Just go to the student minister director, right? Um, and I just lost my page. Okay. Um, for scripture today, we're still in Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without a fault and a crooked generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe. Um, we have the privilege today of having um, Dr. David O'Shine. Um, he told me wonderful things about him this morning. He's been with us several times before, and he's been a mentor um, to Nick for over 15 years, but he is a husband, a father, a professor, occasional troublemaker is what he tells me, so I'm sure that we will have, um, I remember some laughs the last few times he was here. Um, he has recently written a book. It is out in the lobby. Um, they are free, um, so he would love for you, that just came out in April, he would love for you to grab one per family if you can, but please go ahead and take that with you when you um, leave today, and we are so honored that he is here with us. Um, that book is to help just embrace God's absence when you're going through time of crisis, so I think that we all can relate to that a little bit. We are honored that you are here with us today, sir, and let's welcome Dr. David O'Shine. David O'Shine, it's O'Shine. Come on, Adrian. I don't call you Yo Adrian. Yo Adrian. Dr. David. Oh, oh see, they cut me off. Dr. David. <laughs> Good morning. Turn to the person next to you and say, You look marvelous. All right, turn, the next, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm sorry, I lied. Fran Halloran, you in the house? Nick's the, my timer, because he knows I don't go as long as Nick, right? That's right. No, I'm like a 20-minute guy. Is that okay? Okay. <laughs> that was good. I like that. Uh, let's pray. Father, um, thank you so much for giving me the chance. This is, this is not their privilege or honor. This is mine, and it's uh, great to be here. Uh, thank you for church plants that tried and started during pandemic and so many of them didn't make it but this this group has made it and they're continuing to survive and thrive and i pray a blessing over this this church this group of wonderful people that are impacting the city and uh, continue to use them i pray i pray for each person here i don't know why they're here this morning but i know that you have a word for each one of us so would you meet each one of us where we are and I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, have you ever met someone that says, um, you say to them, and I, I, go to, I go to Move Fitness in Irma, and so the, the common guy question in the locker room is, uh, you doing all right? Okay, that's what guys ask. You doing all right? And the person will say, well, I could complain, but I won't. And then they start to complain. Okay, do we have that first slide up there? Okay, have you ever met someone like that that says, well, I could complain, but I won't because it won't do any good, and then they start to complain? Have, have you ever met someone like that? Yeah. All right, turn to the person next to you and say, not you. <laughs> not you. So, 
Consumer Reports had a survey last year of the things Americans complain most about. And I'm going to read a few, and then I want you to tell me what you think are the number one, two, and three, okay? It's just like a little quiz, okay? Here's a, here's a list. You tell me at the end what you think out of the three, out of the category, which is one, which is two, which is three. Here you go. All right? Um, complaints about uh, weather, okay? It's too hot. It's too cold. Number two, um, my Wi-Fi's not working. The Wi-Fi's not working. Number three. This food at this restaurant sucks. It's, it's just awful. Number four, telemarketers. Complaining about telemarketers. Number five, packages that don't show up on time. Number six, traffic. Number seven, litter and people who like to litter. I love this next one, loud neighbors. Next one, feeling hungry. Next one, people who cut in line. People like to complain about people cutting in line. I know you don't do that. Um, spam calls. And then the last one, bad customer service. All right, out of all those lists, which do you think is one, two, and three? Weather is number three. Traffic is number two. And bad customer service is number one. Did you get that, Brandon? All right, give him a cup of coffee later. Okay, well done. We do complain, don't we? And um, I, want, I want to this morning talk about this verse that says, do all things without grumbling, because I find that a very challenging verse. And I don't want to talk about kind of the command or the prohibition of not doing it. I want to talk about why we do it. And let's go beneath the waterline to talk about reasons why we complain, why we grumble. And so um, I I would like to give you a couple of, of what I think are reasons why we complain, all right? And this is not rocket science, okay? Number one, I think we like to complain because I think we like it. I think it feels good. I think it feels good to tell somebody, I don't like my job. I don't like my boss. Uh, my marriage is not going well. I don't like the weather. I don't like Clemson. I don't like Gamecocks. I don't like this. I don't like that. I think that we just like like it because I just think it feels good to get it off our chest. Would you agree? Okay, number two. I think it's part of our DNA to complain. Uh, I think it's part of our sin nature to complain. I don't know if we want to call it entitlement or selfishness or sinfulness, but I just think there's something in us that just kind of likes to be sometimes half empty. But how many of you know that after you're with someone who's half empty for a long time, it gets irritating. And then we start to complain about their half emptiness, right? Number three, misery loves company. Isn't it kind of nice to meet someone and you're complaining and they start to complain about the same thing and it's like, well, we got a friend now. This is someone I really connect with. And then uh, all of a sudden you're like, wow, we really do have something in common. We both like to be negative. Isn't this great? But Proverbs talks about you don't really want to hang out with someone like that. Because before you know it, you poison people's wells. Or they poison yours. Number four, I think another reason we like to complain is that we're probably going through a hard time. A very hard, confusing time. Chances are some of you are going through that right now. I, I am. Uh, and it goes in ebbs and flows, doesn't it, with life? You get these nice roads of niceness, and then you get some bumpiness, and then you get some pits, and you get some valleys, you get some mountaintops, you get the beaches, and then you hit the wall again. 
I think that when we face some rough times, some trials, some tests, the Bible calls it, um, we just need to complain. We just need to get it out. Now, let me take us a step further, or let's say a step deeper, and let's not just assume we all know what complaining, grumbling is. Let's define it, okay? Can we define it? Is that okay? You guys with me? All right, turn the next person with next to you and say, are you with him? Okay, good. All right, I like this definition. Let's put that up on the screen because I can't see anything from here. The screen should say this. Grumbling by Andrew Byer says this. Grumbling is, quote, a cynical, say with me, a cynical and embittered disposition of distrust born out of painful disillusionment. Now, let's unpack that. All right? Don't start at the front end of the definition. Let's start at the back end. It starts with a painful disillusionment. All right? He says this. It's a cynical and embittered disposition of distrust born out of or birthed out of or emerging out of a painful disillusionment. So you have a bad day at your job. You have a rough day at home. Something doesn't go the way you want to. Uh, you're made fun of. You're picked on. You're called out in a staffing, whatever. You don't get picked for the, for the sports team. You have a painful disillusionment, which all of a sudden creates within you and me a feeling of cynicism, embittered, which means bitter, attitude. Does that make sense? So I used to just think grumbling was just, just complaining, but it, it's deeper. It's something that touches us deeply that creates a painful disillusionment. We get disillusioned by something, which then leads us to perhaps take more steps downward where we start getting cynical about the situation. We get bitter about the situation, and then before you know it, we start complaining incessantly. Now, I'll tell you who did this in the Bible. I was raised Jewish, by the way, and it's my people, the Jewish people. <laughs> Three million of them. And they were in Egypt for a long time. They were in bondage and they were in slavery. And then God was going to set them free. And they were tra tra traveling on the way to the promised land. And they didn't like it. And they were stuck in an area called the wilderness. And they started to complain. And they were going, Lord, we don't like this. And they started to complain to Moses. In fact, one verse in Numbers 14 says all of Israel complained. That 3.5 million people is a lot of people to complain about. They are, there's, that's a lot of whiny Jewish people. You know what I'm saying? We want to go back to Egypt. We want to go. We used to get manna. We want manna bread and manna kadi and banana bread. And we want to go back. We want to go back. And God says, listen, if you want to complain, go ahead. And every time they complained, they would like, take another lap, take another lap, take another lap around the mountain. It's easy to complain when you are frustrated, when you're hurt, when you're broken, when you're disillusioned. It's easy to do that. But I believe there's some better ways to deal with it. We'll get to that in a couple seconds. The other group that complained, I call group because it's one of the longest books of the Bible. It's called the book of Job. And I don't know if you know the story, but Job had cataclysmic experiences with life. Um, the Lord allowed, I don't believe it caused, the Lord allowed crisis in Job's life. And he lost almost everything. 
the only thing he didn't lose was his spouse, which later on I'm thinking he wishes he had lost her because she is the whiner. And he's trying to man up and trust God in the midst of losing all his children, 10 children. All his property is destroyed. All his land is wiped out. All his animals are killed. Everything has been destroyed in his life but him and his wife. And she says this, curse God and die, meaning take your life. It will be better. Just, just get out of this painful misery. And, and he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. He was trying to stay above the waterline of grumbling because he actually believed that something great was about to happen in his life, but it was hard to see it. And maybe you've been there. You've been in that situation where it is just hard to see above the waterline because it just looks so deep and so sad. So Moses is fighting his people who are complaining. Job is trying to deal with a whiny, very hurt, naturally understood wife who is broken over the loss of her kids and her property. And I don't know about you, but perhaps today you are going through something too where it just feels like you just want to complain. And then you might be like that person who says to me at the gym, I could complain, but it doesn't do any good. I could whine, but it doesn't do any good. And you're kind of right. And it does help for a while to process it and to get it out. I've got a degree in counseling, so I get it. It does feel good to get it out. But maybe there's something more redemptive through the complaining that we can get to. And I'd like to ask the question this morning for you and for me. What triggers your complaining? What gets you? And I'll tell you what mine is. Mine is when I'm caught in what I call the waiting room. The waiting room. The waiting room is where you're caught somewhere between A and B or, or A and C or A and D or A, or A, to, A to wherever. You're, you're caught between some zone. Does that make sense? You're caught between a waiting zone. And if you've ever been to a hospital, and we've been spending uh, the last two weeks in Children's Hospital up in Charlotte with our son. I'll tell you that in a second. But if you've ever been to a waiting room and you've sat in a hospital and you're waiting for the news... And sometimes it's good news, and sometimes it's not. And you're just waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. And I think for some of us, at least it is for me, it's that in-between season, that waiting period. You're waiting for that job to emerge that you want. You're waiting for that baby that you've prayed for that hasn't happened. You're waiting for something to happen, and it's not. And then before you know it, you start complaining. And maybe even complaining, God, you're not, you're not doing anything. And I've done that prayer a lot. God, you're not showing up. Where are you? Why can't you show? And that's what caused me to write that book uh, during the pandemic because I felt like during the pandemic, God was really quiet. And I felt like God's voice was outshadowed and outshouted by uh, presidents and, and, and the who, not the band, and all the groups that are coming out telling us why, why the COVID is this and how we're going to get through it and we're waiting for this vaccine. We're all in this waiting this season. And I think that when you and I are in that waiting season, causes a lot of us, it triggers the emotions to want to complain. So how do we deal with that? How do we just like, is there a magic wand? No, there's not. Is there just four little quick steps we can do and just get over it? I don't think so. But I do think there are a couple principles we can try to implement to start to work through the complaining. Because I don't know about you, but... I don't like being around people who just whine, whine, whine all the time. I find like 
they're not my people. I don't really want to hang out with them. So let me give you a couple thoughts that have helped me. Number one, be honest with God. Would you say that with me? Ready? Be honest with God. In some ways, I was talking to my wife about this last night. In some ways, intuitively, prayer is in some ways complaining to God, isn't it? I mean, if you read the Psalms, David is complaining. He is whining. <laughs> he is shouting at God. I don't know if you ever saw a movie, old movie years ago called The Apostle. And, he, and he's a preacher. And he's always screaming at God. He's always yelling at God, telling God what to do and what not to do. I don't think prayer is so much an anger toward God. I think this honesty, Paul says, in all my prayers, I pray for you. I think in the Psalms, we have what's called Psalms of Complaint. Psalms of lament, which are psalms of grief, where David is anxious and he's grieving. And you will see at least 40 times where David says, do not be silent to me. In other words, he's feeling God's absence. He's feeling God's silence. So I think the first thing we need to do is take our complaints and take them to God. And put them there because I think we know that now, catch this, now we have a different lens to approach prayer through. Now we have a different lens to approach complaining through. Now we know that if I give my complaint to God, I can rest, knowing now I've let it go, at least for that moment. Does that make sense? I finally like this, Lord, I'm going to give this to you because I know, I know that that's a process. I know it just doesn't happen overnight. And I know I've met the name it, claim it people, and they're just, just praise God and claim it, boom, it's gone. I've just never found that work for me very well. I tried it, but I found that what actually did work was, was laying it before God and saying, Lord, I am frustrated, I am embittered, I am disillusioned, I'm upset, I'm hurt, and I give that to you. Now, you give me perspective. You give me a lens and a theology to view suffering and hurt. Help me understand it. And I think that's the best place to be is to just be radically honest with God. And I think that for some of us, we, we feel like that sounds so disrespectful, but I think God actually welcomes it. I think he wants you to come honest. I think he wants you to come like a child and just be real. Does that make sense? Be real with God. Number two, I think we need to know that the waiting season actually is forging something positive. How do I know that? Philippians 2, 13. We talk about this at my church that I'm a part of, Samuel's community and our staff. I'm a part-time, very part-time guy there. We talk about this verse all the time. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, God is working and doing something in the midst of your grief, in the midst of your suffering, because he knows, you'll want, he knows your natural DNA is to complain. But he's actually trying to do something. And what is that something? That something's Romans 8 and 29. He says this. And we know that God causes all things for good. Doesn't mean everything's good. He causes all things for good to who? Thank you. For those who love God and for those who are called according to his purpose. For those, and never, we never read this verse, but we need to read it. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, this is all big theological words, to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. What that's saying is, is that God will allow good, bad, and ugly in our lives to press us into becoming more like Jesus. That's it. Part of God's refining, purging, snipping, 
process like the vine on the branch. The purpose isn't to make us miserable. The purpose is to make us more like Jesus. And so as we go through, and I don't think that always the good times actually do it. I actually think the, di- the down times, the hard times, actually make us cry out to God more. They do with me. And so we're, we're like, my wife and I and, and our family are right in the thick of it right now. Uh, May 29th uh, was two Sundays ago, and uh, my son said to me, Daddy, I can't move. I said, what's wrong? He said, my legs aren't working. And so we, we called uh, our pediatrician, and he said, I'm on, I'm on call, come down and see me. So we went down, and I'll just make it really fast, but we got down there. Uh, he sent us to a Baptist hospital. They did a, a two-and-a-half-hour MRI. This, this, my little guy, Andrew, he has Down syndrome, by the way. He's a warrior. He is a warrior. He did two-and-a-half hours, like, with no Ativan. Like, I would have needed, like, 20, okay? You know what I'm saying? And then he did, like, he did like a spinal tap with no medication. I mean, he, he said, I don't want it. I don't want, he, he calls it sleepy juice. He goes, I don't want the sleepy juice. Anyway, they determined he has what's called GBS, uh, which I had never heard of. Um, Brandon, where's Brandon? How do you say it, Brandon? Gian, Gian, Gian Barre syndrome? Gian Barre syndrome? Yeah, I just call it Gillian Barry. But anyway, um, I don't know. But what it means is it, it attacks one out of 100,000 people a year. It's very rare. It's an autoimmune disease. And he just woke up. He couldn't move. Um, it attacks, and it's what's called an ascending disease, which means it could get up to your lungs. And if it's in your lungs, you're in really deep trouble. But they kept him in ICU for three days, just precautionary, and his lungs were great. So they moved him out, and then, uh, then they moved him to Children's Hospital. And so for three hours every day, um, Andrew uh, is getting physical therapy. And he's relearning to walk. And it has been tough. And the first temptation is to want to complain. I haven't gone there, at least not yet. Um, Maybe I will. But I'm really trying to do these principles, knowing that I can be honest with God. And I've had some tears because, you know, when you're a dad, you don't want to see your kid paralyzed. You You just don't. You want your kid to be able to walk and swim and all the things he loves to do. But knowing that God is forging something, not just in Andrew, but in me and in Rhonda and our daughter Rachel and our son-in-law Chris and, and our family. I mean, we got like 500 people praying for a little guy. It's just amazing. But, but I've had to really say to myself, I've had to mentally coach myself and say, good things are emerging. And I don't know what your GBS is in life. I don't know what your Gillian Barre is. I don't know what you're facing but I know that God has something good for you. And it doesn't mean that the outcome will always be perfect and beautiful and sweet and happy because I know that we Christians love that. You know, we love the perfect story ending. But I do know that God has something good, and that good is conforming us to being like Jesus. Number three, are you guys still with me? Number three, pray for an attitude of gratitude. So this is where you turn the grumbling differently. You now say, God, I, I just, just naturally like to complain, God. So I'm asking you, Lord, to help me have an attitude of gratitude. And I'm sure Nick will get to this verse in chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And what happens? And the peace of Christ, which surpasses all comprehension, all comprehension, will guard your what? 
heart and what? In Christ Jesus. In other words, the garrison, the protection that God is going to give you in the midst of your, your work, your marriage, your singleness, your divorce, in the midst of what you're going through, God will give you a peace that passes all your anxiety when you surrender it. That's why you pray for an attitude of gratitude. And then last and finally, embrace mystery, which will inspire resiliency. So, mystery is very biblical. And Christians don't like mystery. We don't like movies that have unhappy endings. We don't like movies or stories that leave you hanging. Uh, Jesus, by the way, uses mystery, like the prodigal son, at the end of the story, when the, he invites the elder, older brother in, you don't know if the brother comes in. He, Jesus freeze frames it. You don't know if he goes in or not at the party. Uh, you don't know if the brother forgives ever. He just freezes it. And the Bible is clear that God has what's called his own little storehouse. Deuteronomy chapter 29, 29, my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible says this. The secret things belong to the Lord. But the things revealed to us are found in his word that we may observe the words of this law. So the things that we need to know are in scripture. The things that we need to know are the truth of scripture. But there are some things in scripture you will never understand. You will never fully understand the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, guaranteed. You will not fully understand it. You will not fully understand heaven, hell, all those issues. If you're married, the Bible says it's a mystery. That's why you don't understand your spouse. Okay, you will never fully understand your spouse. You just won't. It's a mystery. The Bible says that God has what's called secret things, or Jesus actually uses the word hidden things. But that means this. There are some things in God's wheelhouse, storehouse, that only he knows, that only he should know because he is God. And there are things that we will know that are in his word that we can kind of figure out, but there's things in the Bible that we will still never understand. But there's some things that we'll understand quickly because they're easy to understand. But I think we have to balance this ambiguity of certainty versus mystery. And the things I can be certain of, I bank on. And the things I don't get, I allow God to have those. So when people say, well, who's this person? Are they going to heaven? Or are they going to, where are they going? I don't know. Well, why is God doing this? I don't know. Because there's a mystery to it. And if you, by the way, men and women, if you can explain everything there is to know about God, if you can do that, then your God is too small. Because there are things about God that we are not supposed to get on this side of heaven. We're just not, because they're, they're secrets. They're in his wheelhouse, they're in his storehouse. And so would you allow mystery to embrace yourself in such a way, because I believe that will actually build resiliency so that you get to the point that you say when you're in tough time, you know what? God understands this. God knows why this is happening, and I don't have to know. And some people are very uncomfortable with that category, but I've become, as I've gotten older, and that's what happens when you hit 60, you start to become a little bit more comfortable with mystery and not so much worry about why is everything happening and why don't I understand it. Proverbs was written by um, Solomon, a very rich man a very wise man who made a lot of dumb decisions. But there was one verse that he says that has probably been put on your coffee mug, and it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Now, I'm, I'm pretty good at the first verse, trust in the Lord. I'm pretty good at that. I'm not very good at the second part. 
which says lean not <laughs> to your own understanding. And the lean not understanding implication is we're, tr- we're like, we're trying to figure it all out. And have you ever gotten to the point where you're like, my brain's not big enough to figure what's going on? Have you ever, have you ever hit that, that part? When you get to that part, part of your life, that's a good place to be because you realize, I can't figure this out. I'm going to stop. Do we have any overthinkers in the house, by the way? Do we have a group therapy moment? Okay. Okay, so this verse is for you. And the verse for you is trust, lean, surround yourself, grab the, in the Hebrew, grab the tree trunk and hold it as tight as you can. Lean on this with all your heart. Trust in the Lord and lean not. Don't try to figure out and overthink and worry about every situation because mystery will produce resiliency. Now, As we close, I want you to think about what you're going through today. Don't think about the person to your right or your left. Don't think about me. Think about you. What are you going through that you need to today be honest with God about? What do you need to do today to take the grumbling and replace it with a prayer? Lord, help me praise you. Help me thank you in the midst of this. What are you going through today that you need to embrace mystery? So it can produce resiliency. Because if there's one thing the pandemic did for everybody, it sapped the life out of so many of us that we weren't resilient. So would you, uh, would you bow your head with me? And would you just take about 30 seconds, and I promise I'm not going to embarrass anyone because that's just not, that's not my jam. But would you just quietly before God say, Lord, I'm going through blank, and you know that. <laughs> And I'm giving my situation to you. And I'm asking you to help me view my situation, Lord, through, the, through your lens. Lord, I'm asking you to help me have an attitude of gratitude. And I'm asking you to help me embrace mystery. Would you just take 30 seconds bef- between you and God and do that? Father, it feels good to um, be silent before you. And throughout today, would you speak to each one of us about how to interpret and how to view our situation? And I pray for your people here at Emmaus Church, that you would strengthen them, that you would empower them, that you would give them your grace and your, your amazing grace today. Give them joy in the midst of suffering. Give them the ability to see you at work, even if it's just a little glimpse of light. May they understand and embrace mystery that produces resiliency. And for those that are willing to quit this morning, throw in the towel for some reason, would you undergird them? Would you surround them with your love? Would you surround them with one or two people? 
that really will care about them. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says, cast all your anxieties on him for he cares for you. So would you stand and let me give you a benediction and then may you have the greatest rest of your afternoon that you've ever had. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, may he strengthen you, may he empower you, may he lift up your heart. May you be encouraged today that Jesus loves you. He is crazy about you. He has a plan for your life, and he's working in you and through you to do his good will and his good pleasure. And if you receive that, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. God bless. You're free to rock and roll. See ya.